Just, if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Malachi chapter 4. We'll read verses 5 and 6, and then we'll flip over to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1, 2, 3. So first Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now would you please turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Start to read at verse 1. And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we just come, Lord, with an open heart before you, Lord, this morning. Lord, I am conscious, Lord, of these clay lips before you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm not even going to try and bring this word, Lord, for in all honesty, I can't. But Lord, I know I can do all things, Lord, through that spirit that you have placed within me. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you guide us through your word this morning. Lord, that you speak, Lord, a message into the hearts of your people. Lord, that you bless each and every one of us, Lord, because your word is a blessing unto us, Lord. And it's an instruction to us. So, Lord, we give you thanks, Lord, this morning for what you are doing. Lord, for what you have done. And, Lord, for what you are going to do. And this assembly of ours, Lord, we give you all the glory and honour in Jesus' precious name. Amen. John was possibly, I would say, Jesus Christ's favourite preacher. He was the prophet that came before the Lord. He was considered the greatest of all the prophets that had ever been before him. Why was that? Because in all honesty, he had the greatest message. It was Jesus Christ. He was here. He said, behold, he is here. John, as a prophet, you'll find, even like Elijah, came out of the wilderness... He was alone, never seemed to have many people around him, even though he drew crowds in to hear the message. It was a lonely walk for John. I love the way Leonard Ravenhill described a prophet. He said, prophets are God's emergency men for crisis hours. It was a crisis hour for that nation. They didn't know it, but the Lord of glory was coming. They needed to know him. They needed to know him. So John once have been what you call man of the year. 
He wouldn't have been very popular. And let's face it, the message of God seldom ever is. Truth hurts. It reveals. But it's still the truth. Still the truth. And just as a bit of background, at that time there was quite a bit of turmoil and they had been over the few 400 years between the Old Testament, if you like, and the, and the beginning of the New Testament. Um, Judea itself had been in a lot of turmoil. They had Alexander the Great had swept in and gone across that land. And Alexander had died and it had been split up into many different regions and under control of that region at that time was the Seleucid Empire. And there was a great revolt there because they were oppressing, if you like, the people of Judea. And then you had a man called um, Judas Maccabeus, or Judas the Hammer, as they called him. That's why Judas was a, a popular name. He led a revolt to throw off the oppression of the Seleucid Empire, and then the Romans came in. So there was a lot of turmoil, there was a lot of fighting. But then you hear, <clears throat> after all that, was the birth of John. So if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1, we've got to read a few verses about the birth of John the Baptist. And I want you to notice something. Luke chapter 1, we'll start at verse 5. Luke 1 verse 5. And there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abba, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. Now if you let your eye run down to verse uh, 13, please. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for the prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Now in the natural, John was, if you like, a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that through scriptures. He was six months older than the Lord. But you'll notice something about John. His father was a priest. He served in the temple. So that made him by lineage a priest. He was a Levite. And so John's birth in itself was miraculous. It said they were well stricken in years. His, his, His mother was barren. But you'll notice that The Bible tells us that he did no mighty miracles. And yet when you look at this man's ministry, he breathed life into a nation. 
There was life started to come in this nation. There was people starting to have their eyes opened. And John did this by one thing, by preaching the word. That was it. He preached the word. There was no flashbang or anything else. It was just the word of God. But he was faithful to it. Even though he was by lineage a priest, and that meant he could have gone into the temple. Could have maybe had a good job, I don't know. Maybe paid well, I don't know. But he could have had certain privileges, but he didn't. He decided to go into the wilderness. He decided to have separation. Some people say he studied with uh, a sect of people, saying that uh, the Quran, <clears throat> and these people would have gone in there. Whether he did or not, I don't know. These sect of people would have, have, if you read about them, they separated themselves at that time, and they lived in that sort of part or that area. But either way, he chose separation over everything else that was going on in the world. You see, and I often think this, you know, you get, what I see the Pharisees, well-educated men, knew the scriptures, and yet John went out and decided to be separate because he wanted to seek the Lord. He wanted to see what the Lord wanted for his life. He wasn't interested in going through the usual route He just wanted to be a spirit-filled man of God. And he was. And that's why he was able to come with a message like he did. You see, I'm I'm not against education. But, you know, I see so many things and and so many people trying to tear other people down. And they turn around and they say, you know, what qualifies him to preach the gospel? I tell you what qualifies him to preach the gospel. It's Jesus Christ qualifies a man to preach the gospel. And that's who qualified John. He never went to any college. He never went to anything like that. But Jesus Christ had his hand upon this man. And that's what we need. That's what we need. I want you to look today at the ministry of John. And I want to try, because there's been so much done about John the Baptist. I want to try maybe and just show you a few things maybe that hasn't been heard before maybe are a bit different. So if you'd like to go back to our first reading of Matthew 3, and 1 and 3, and just look at the second verse. You notice some of the very, one of the very first words that, that comes out of John's mouth as he comes out of the wilderness. And it's this word, repent. <coughs> repent. And it's a word, <clears throat> methaneo, in the Greek. But it means, listen to this, to change one's mind. It means to change one's life or a turnaround. Listen to this, as regarding sin, those who are conscious of their sin, with a manifest sorrow, are intent on obtaining God's pardon. And then from that time on, begin to think and act differently. That's true repentance. Yes. It's not the repentance we hear or we'll say sorry and then we'll go and do it again. True, true repentance is literally turning away from that that you know is a hindrance to your walk with the Lord. And that's what John was preaching. And this is partly why when we get to Ephesians 6 and 17, we have the helmet of salvation. 
We have the helmet of salvation because, you know what? We have to know who God is. We have to know his word. We have to know what's acceptable. We have to know what's not acceptable. But you have to know it. I mean, I'm all for, don't get me wrong, the Lord touches the heart. But what we have to understand is the kingdom of God is completely opposite to everything we've been told. That's why there's a renewing of the mind. Because the world tells us to cling on to life. The Bible says if you want to live, then you've got to die first. The world tells us if we're a good person, then we're okay. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one, and that right, our righteousness is but filthy rags. And there's only one way to be righteous, and that is Jesus Christ Amen. and accepting him. Amen. Only one way. And the world tells us to lay up treasures here on earth. And the Bible says we're to lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So you can see the Bible is completely opposite to what we're told in the world. We need to know the word of God. We need to understand it. Because the biggest battle we are ever going to face, <clears throat> and I've seen it more and more, it's not from the devil. Because he's defeated. He's defeated. The biggest battle you're ever going to face is in your mind. You know what, if everybody got saved and the devil dropped dead, I'd still have one of the biggest adversaries, and that's me. I cause myself more problems than anybody else does. Sometimes I wish I could have a holiday from myself at times. <clears throat> but it's the truth, isn't it? It is. It's the truth. So if you want to let your eye <clears throat> run down to verse 6, we'll get to another point. That John was making. Matthew 3 and 6. And he says. And were baptized of him in the Jordan. Confessing their sins. So we have water baptism. This was another ministry of John. And this was. The baptism is obviously to show our faith. In the death and the burial. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us. That we may have eternal life. Through what he has done. But also. It's showing that when we do that, we partake in that death. In other words, we partake in that death of our old life. Because we're coming into newness of life. We're buried to that old life. That's why in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, and it says this. And then said Jesus unto his disciples, <clears throat> If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And this, brother and sister, you'll find. Whenever you've seen a man going out of a city with a cross on his back, he wasn't coming back. That was him. There was no turnaround from it. That was him up until his point of death. There was never ever going to be any other way. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. There is one way and it's not easy. So you're going to have to take up your cross. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You're going to have to do it. 
you've got to have to stand up for me. And you know, brother and sister, in this time that we're ushering in, you can see it more and more and more. The church is floundering. But we need to stand for Christ. You know why? There was a day, an hour, when we needed him desperately. And he gave his life for us. He gave his life for us. And that's when, whenever you read the Apostle Paul, and I love reading what the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, because it's beautiful, because you know what? We often forget that this man was under the most severe persecution. He was under the threatenings of death every minute when he preached. And yet when you read what this man was writing, there was such peace about it. Because he had his eyes fixed on Christ. He died to self. You see, when you die to self, you can't be offended. Because dead men, dead women don't get offended anymore. Because they're sold out for him. Sold out for him. Let your eye run down to verses 7 and 8. We'll read them. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Now I want you to flip over to 1 John and it gives you another perspective on what was happening in this situation. 1 John. Sorry, John chapter 1, not 1 John. John chapter 1, sorry. And verse 22. Now the Pharisees are speaking to him, and they said, Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That was in Isaiah uh, chapter 40 and verse 3. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why 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 baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither the prophet, And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. They didn't know who was coming. They were completely blinded to it. And John knew this. And they hadn't come out to seek repentance from John. That's why he spoke to them like they did. They'd come out for one reason and one reason only. Because the temple looked a bit thin on the ground. And they wanted to see where all the people were going. And so they started to question this man. But you know what? He told them straight away. Because he seen the heart of them. He said, you're a generation of vipers. And you know what, brother and sister, and I mean this now. Sometimes something looks good. Sometimes something can say all the right words and everything else. But let me tell you something. It's rotten. You can put all this show on and everything else. But you know what? Sooner or later, 
you'll start to see in somebody's life or in a ministry's life, you'll start to see something that's not right. And you, when you start to see that, it doesn't matter what they've done in the past, you weren't his. It's as simple as that. Because if you were, you wouldn't do it. And that's what John's saying. You're trying to monopolize on God. Well, no, because God's not having it. That's what John's saying to them. That's why he was so hard on them. Another reason was they had no excuse. They knew the scriptures. They knew them better than most other people. Because you see, in Isaiah 11 and 8, when you look at that, and it says this, And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asps, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. What's that talking about? Unto us a child is born. Who's that? It's Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's calling them a demo vipers. He's saying, the Lord's got to put his hand on you. He's got to deal with you for what you're doing. It's what John's saying to them. And they know full well what he's saying to them. And another thing was, in Malachi chapter 3 and 1, listen to this, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to this temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So who was the messenger before him? That was John the Baptist. Even the messenger of the covenant was Jesus Christ. There was plenty of scriptures to point to that Jesus Christ was coming. Not only that, I totally believe that John the Baptist knew of Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27. Not only was it the time frame of when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to start his ministry, it was also the time frame of when his death was going to happen that was going to make an end to all sin. Because you see, there was, there was an expectancy at this time. You see, people are expecting something to happen. That's why they were saying to John, are you him? Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they were expecting him to come. But you see, when he did come, the Pharisees didn't want it. They didn't want the way in which he was going to come. Because they wanted it in their way, in the way they thought it should be. To prosper them, but not in the way he did. To save the whole world. That's why in Luke 19 and 44, it says, And shall lay thee even with the ground, thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. That's why he said the axe is laid at the root in Matthew 3 and 10. He was saying to the Pharisees, you don't know this time that's coming, and it's got to destroy you. And that's the same with everybody. It's the same with everybody. You want to get to Matthew 3 and verse 9? I want you to look at what else he said to them. John. He says, And think not to say within yourselves that we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now that seems a strange verse, doesn't it? 
Well, if you look in <clears throat> First John 28, John chapter 1, verse 28. John chapter 1, verse 28. You'll see where they are. John chapter 128 says, These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, Bethabara, if you have a look in, in a concordance, it means, uh, it says ferry house in it, but if you actually look in a proper dictionary, it actually means rite of passage. So John was baptizing in this place called the rite of passage. Now, if you go to Joshua... I've got to be flipping through a few scriptures here now. But I want to try and show you this. Because I think it's important. Just to get what John the Baptist was saying. If you flip to Joshua. Chapter 4. You'll find John the Baptist never said anything for just saying it. There was always a reason behind it. Joshua chapter 4. Let your eye run down to verse 3. And it says, and commanded ye them, saying, he's saying this to the priest, this is Joshua, take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, see twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in a lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Let your eye run down to verse 6. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Now I believe that John the Baptist was pointing to these very stones where they were, because that's where Joshua passed over. That's where the stones were set up for a memorial. So when he says these stones, he can raise up. You know what he was saying? It was a challenge to the Pharisees, because he was saying, you see that priestly line that you think you're from? It's corrupt. It's a corrupt line. And of these stones, of these Israelites, he has got to raise up in the, your place. And when you have a look at the disciples of the Lord that were from Galilee, they weren't even considered Israelites. But when you look and it talks about them and the Lord talks about them, he knew they were Israelites that were in Galilee. So that's what he was saying. They're going to be my witness. They're going to be my foundation stones. Turn over to Joshua chapter 3. Let me show you this as well. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 5, it might be a bit more like a Bible study this morning. Verse 5. It said, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Now notice what it says. The covenant went before the people in the rite of passage in this place. Now in Malachi 3 and 1 that we've just read, the messenger of the covenant was Jesus Christ. Now look what it said in John chapter 1, 29, of the, 29 through 31. It says this, John seeing Jesus 
coming unto him, saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I come baptizing with water. Isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ was baptized in the Jordan at the rite of passage. Jesus Christ was the messenger of the covenant and he got baptized and he became our rite of passage into the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't the Bible amazing? Do you think John really just picked that out? No, he didn't. He knew Joshua had crossed over there. He knew the Ark of the Covenant had gone before. And that's what the Lord was going to do. He was going to go before us, even into death. But he was going to rise again. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ. Isn't he amazing? I want to show you something else as well. Go back over to Joshua 5. Chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 13. <clears throat> And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went unto him and said unto him Aren't thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said Nay but as the captain of the Lord of hosts I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him what saith my Lord unto his servant? So obviously it's, it's a theophany of Jesus Christ. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, let your eye run, just run down to that. And it said, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See I have given unto, unto thee thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valour. Now you notice something here. The Lord's telling Joshua, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to destroy Jericho because I've already given it into your hand. Now he was at that rite of passage where, he was, where John the Baptist was baptising. This is where Joshua went over. But did you notice something as well with Jesus Christ? He was baptised at the same place. He went before. He died on the cross to make that covenant. But what else did he do? He destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. Why did he destroy Jericho? Because it was a stumbling block to the people of Israel. Why did he destroy the temple? Because they revered it more than him. He was ushering people into the kingdom, even in all that. Why? Listen to this, Matthew 23 and verse 13. This is what the Lord says. Woe unto your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Listen to this. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither ye suffer ye them that are entering to go in. That's why he destroyed the temple. Because they were stopping people from going in to the kingdom of God. You'd like to just flip over to me now to Matthew chapter 3. We'll have a look at verse 11.
chapter 3, verse 11. you'll notice a couple of things he says here. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You notice he says, I am not worthy to bear his shoes. It says in the Greek, um, it says shoes who I'm not worthy to take up. Seems a strange one. But if you ever read the book of Ruth, you will find in Ruth there's a story of a young woman and her mother-in-law was a, a woman called Naomi and Ruth's husband had died and they both travelled back into Judea. Um, now, you'll find when you read the book of Ruth, it will say the Moabitess, but you'll also see, if you, if you actually read into it a bit more, there was a lot of Israelites started to go out onto the, the outskirts of Moabite and even into Moabite. So she was an Israelite. She had to be anyway for what was going to happen because when she went in, she had no inheritance. In other words, she had no offspring. She had nobody to pass anything down to. Naomi didn't. And so because this was her, her daughter-in-law, she had to go and they had what they called was a kinsman redeemer. It was made a member of the family would then be able to go and marry Ruth so that she could have an inheritance, that she could have offspring, that she could have something to pass on to, lands to pass on to. And now you find in the story there was a man called Boaz that was willing to do this, but there was somebody else that was closer in line than he was. So when they went down to the, if, if you like, the, 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 uh, the gate as they called it, that's where all the, the officials sat, there was another man that came that was closer to to uh, uh, Naomi's line, to, to Ruth's line. But he couldn't marry her because he was already married. So what he did was he took off his shoe and he gave it to Boaz as a sign of you are the kinsman redeemer. John was saying there when he said, I'm not worthy to take the shoe of the Lord because he's the kinsman redeemer. He's our salvation. He's the one who's got to redeem men and women. Isn't it amazing when you see it? And then you notice, he says, baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's talking about that time in the upper room when the cloven tongues were going to hit the people that were up there when they were praying and seeking the Lord. But you notice something as well, that cloven tongues meant two things. It meant the kings and it meant priests. There was this line of king and priests. It was that Melchizedek order. And the king meant the authority and the priest meant holiness. And this is what he was talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was saying Jesus Christ has got to come and baptize in the Holy Spirit and he's got to bless many with that. And then we get this. If you'd just like to go to John 29. And you see the revelation that John gets of who he is. We've read this verse before, but we'll read it again. Because I want you to get this. The unfolding revelation to John, even of Jesus Christ. Sorry, John, uh, John 1, verse 29. 
Yeah, that's it. John chapter 1, verse 29. And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let your eye run down to verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same saith unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Isn't it amazing when he sees him? He says, Behold, there's the Lamb of God that take away the, the sin of the world. And then when he sees the Spirit come upon him, he says, Behold, he is the Son of God. Amen. That unfolding revelation of who he was. Isn't it amazing? And what I, what I can't understand was that John the Baptist, when it says he'll send Elijah before them coming days, as the church not grabbed hold, John the Baptist's whole ministry was Jesus Christ. It was all about Jesus Christ and what he was going to do. It was the unveiling of who Jesus Christ was. It was the majesty of Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And yet the churches are trying everything they can. But Jesus Christ... It's Christ and Christ alone. The scriptures point to Jesus Christ. The prophets pointed to Jesus Christ. We should point to Jesus Christ. Our lives should point to him. Our testimonies should point to him. Everything should point to Jesus Christ. You see John the Baptist, what his whole ministry was, was this is God manifest in the flesh. Behold, look at him. And even in them times, you can see the humanity of John. Because even at his death, he was put to death because he was preaching holiness and repentance for a wicked king that was in a marriage he shouldn't have been in. And they put him in prison. What did he say to his disciples? Is either one or should we look for another? The Bible doesn't just show us the best bits. It shows us a whole lot. Even when John the Baptist was in prison, did the old doubts come in? Did the old enemy come in? Of course it did. But you know what? And this is just my own thoughts. I've often thought, why did Jesus not go to John? Why did he not go himself? Just my own thoughts, but I've often thought, Jesus Christ, personally, I think if he'd have gone, to see John, it had probably ended up taking him out of there because he would have loved him. He just would have had compassion on him. He didn't go because we have to look at things in eternity. I believe he thought, John's got to get his crown and I'm not going to take it away from him. John lived his life for Christ and so should we. There's no other way to live your life. You can't Get anybody to come and pray peace upon you. If you don't know, one, the word of God. And two, if you don't live it. You're never going to have peace. It's the only way. But I want you to notice something else. When John was in the wilderness and it showed him coming out and he was saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. I think it's also very prophetic as well for the church in this day and age. 
Because you see, John was a priest, but if you actually have a look at his mother's line, she was related to Mary. Mary was from the line of the kings. So was John. So he was a king and priest line. So you see, when he come out of the wilderness, I believe, brother, sister, we're coming out of the wilderness now. And our ministry needs to be Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our ministry needs to be prepare ye the way of the Lord. Because you see, when he was saying prepare ye the way of the Lord, it was a verse that was well known to everybody. It was when a town, if the king was coming, they would have to come out and all the roads with all the big stones in it and everything else for the carriages, they would all have to be dug out. Everything would have to be dug out. They'd have to be smoothed out. All the roads would have to be smoothed out for the coming to carry the king. And that's what we have to do. Is there any hindrances in our lives? Is there anything that would take us away from Christ? Is there anything that is pulling at us all the time when brother, sister, now is the time not to be double-minded, but to cut it off? It needs away with. Because eternity is too long time to spend. You imagine when you get to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Do we actually believe it? Do we believe he's coming back again? Well then, brother, sister, we've got to start living like it. Because there's a lot of churches that aren't. I thank God for this place that is moving. That people who have a heart open for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Let's start showing people what believers should be like. Let's start being a witness to the other churches. What it should be like to be on fire for Jesus Christ. To get the message of Jesus Christ across to the people of God. To show what Jesus Christ can do in the lives of men and women. Because he is the only way. He is the only way. God bless you. I hope I've shown you something a bit different. I was listening to no end of sermons. They all seem to be a bit the same. So I wanted to sort of go down a bit of a different route this morning. Thank you for listening. God bless each and every one of you.